He is risen. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And I want to direct your attention to what is perhaps Jesus' greatest statement on the resurrection. Perhaps the greatest statement that He ever uttered about what the resurrection is, what the resurrection does. And it's my hope that it will lead us to worship this morning and that it will lead many to believe. Let me read to you these words from John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I'll set a little bit of the context for you. Uh, Jesus, you may not have known this, but He had friends. Uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, more than just average people, were His friends. And He loved to be with them in Bethany. And uh, on one particular occasion, Jesus got news that His friend Lazarus was sick. And His friend Lazarus is in fact sick unto death. And uh, when He got this news, He decided not to go to see Lazarus too quickly. In fact, it says uh, because He loved him, He waited two days. It's a great reminder that uh, God's love for us doesn't always get us out of trouble immediately. Well, eventually he made his way down to uh, Lazarus' hometown. And uh, when he arrived in Lazarus' hometown, he obviously found many distraught over the death of this beloved man and beloved friend, and especially, especially his sisters. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were uh, particularly grieved. And uh, Jesus eventually uh, went on, in that particular instance, to comfort um, Mary and Martha and all those who were there in a particularly astounding way. He uh, came up to the grave of Lazarus once the decomposition process has already started. The King James Version famously said, Behold, he stinketh. And Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. He was raised. But that is not the resurrection that Christians delight in and rejoice in. Because years later, Lazarus died. He's not available for services or special Easter preaching engagements today uh, because he went on to die. That was just an appetizer of the final resurrection that Jesus promises after death. That He will raise all of those who believe in Him physically, Bodily, honorably, gloriously, immortally, He will raise all those who have trusted Him to eternal life. The phrase I'm going to read comes from the middle of the story I just told. Uh, Martha wasn't one to take things lying down. And so when she heard Jesus was coming to town, she ran out of town to go meet Him. She couldn't wait. Uh, and she went out to see Him. And Jesus asked her if she believed that he could raise her brother. And she assured him that she did, in believe, she did indeed believe that he could raise her brother. And so Jesus decided he would up her theological knowledge at this point beyond just believing that there would one day be a resurrection. And he did that by telling her these words. In verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. If you're new to church, or this is your first time here in a while, this will have been a successful time together if we just understand that statement for what it is. If we understand what God was saying when He said that statement. So let me read it to you one more time. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet, he sh yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me 
shall never die. Do you believe this? Let me pray. Father, we come before You. We want to get as low as we possibly can before You. We want to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We want to remind You, but mostly remind ourselves of how weak we are. Just because there's a lot of people at church or the singing's loud uh, doesn't make us any more receptive to the work of Your Spirit. We need You to come and personally work by Your Holy Spirit, not only to help us sing, but to help us hear the preaching of Your Word in a way where it's just like they heard the voice of Jesus when He was alive, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. Lord, we lay ourselves completely on You and trust that by the Gospel and the Gospel alone, what You've done, we can receive Your Holy Spirit and be helped to hear and preach Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great joys of being a pastor is you get a front row seat. And many people get this seat too, but as pastor you often get it. For some of life's miracles. And so maybe more often than most, you wind up in hospital rooms holding little babies that weigh five, six, I think one time two or three pounds. Little and tiny bundles of life that you know one day will be a tragedy. But someday, this little child will go on to break their parents' heart if they die early, or maybe break their children's heart if they live a long life. You get to have a front row seat uh, for weddings. And you get to have a couple come down an aisle dressed in their way beyond Sunday best, and stand before you blushing and delighted and make vows that they promise to keep until death do us part. And you know that that celebration will one day be a tragedy. Either the launching of one of them into widowhood or being a widower or perhaps a tragedy for their children if they lose their parents or perhaps just a tragedy for each other as one of them loses the other. Many of you spend each day of your life with a conscious grieving over that tragedy having happened in your life. A loved one, a mother, a child, a father, an uncle, an aunt, someone precious, a mentor, is gone. Because the only sure thing in this life is death. It is absolutely guaranteed that in a very reasonable amount of time, every single one of us will die. I was reading a book called How to Pray by a preacher from the late 1800s, early 1900s, R.A. Torrey. And I was reading it this week, sitting in the park and just reading along. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on me, the guy who wrote this is dead. And he was actually someone who had the same job as me, as a preacher, trying to write books and preach the Gospel and get as much done as he could while he was alive. And here I am holding his book and I'm like, he's not doing any more. He's, he's gone now. He's dead. And I will be too. Very soon. And the resurrection is not good news in a vacuum. The resurrection is good news because we're a dying race. The resurrection is good news because we're a dying people. The resurrection is good news because no one can keep their heart beating infinitely. No one can keep their body strong enough to live long. We know that we hear the stories of the rich and famous cutting off their heads and freezing their brains in cryogenics labs, hopefully to be raised someday in the future. But even if it works, it'll be weird and they'll die eventually. The resurrection is good news because it overcomes the universal human tragedy. Some philosophies may give you some wisdom to live. Some religions may give you a code of conduct that actually brings about human flourishing. 
Jesus Christ alone conquers the grave. He ends the tragedy of death. These words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. These are the great promises available to human souls in the universe. If they are believed, they change everything. We can talk all we want about culture going downhill, about this nation maybe being past its prime, about this or that tragedy or this or that war, but the person who knows that death cannot take them down has a hope that cannot die. And that is what the Gospel offers. Now from this statement that come at the tail end of a conversation between Jesus and Martha, I want to look with you at two claims Jesus made about Himself. Two promises Jesus makes to people. And one question I'd like to ask everyone here this morning. The first claim is that He is the resurrection. He is the resurrection. What does resurrection mean? Resurrection means bodily life after physical death. And in a world full of miraculous events like our world is, it might be wise for us just to think about how amazing resurrection is in a world of amazing. Creation is when something that doesn't exist comes into existence. It's pretty amazing. We live around creation all the time. You can get a little mundane, unfortunately. But if you just stop and think for a second, you weren't, now you are. That's amazing. Conception is when two living beings who are brought into existence unite and together they produce another living being. That's a miracle. But resurrection is the most amazing of them all because it is not not life out of nothing or life conceived by other lives. It is new life out of death. It is the beginning after the end. It's the next chapter after the story looked done. It is life not from the womb, but birth from the grave. And in the Bible, resurrection is not just another creation that might go south like this one it has. Resurrection is according to 1 Corinthians 15, imperishable, immortal, eternally honorable, eternally powerful. Brian Regan, a comedian who I enjoy, and if you get around me and my kids, we can quote way too much of. Brian Regan has this one skit where he talks about getting older. He talks about banging his knee, and once he bangs his knee, it is an older man. He goes, well, that's going to hurt Forever. But on your first day after the resurrection body, you feel that limber back moving around like you're 22 years old again. You're going to think, that's going to flex forever. (laughs) The resurrection is new bodily life brought from the grave. Now when Jesus made this claim to Martha, I am the resurrection, He was not teaching her something totally new. She was a Jewish woman. And as a Jewish woman, she had read the Old Testament Scriptures, the part of the Bible written before Jesus came. And in those Old Testament Scriptures, as Pastor James read to us, the resurrection had been prophesied. And so when Jesus says to her, hey, your brother's dead. Do you know that he's going to rise again? She goes, yes, Lord. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. For her, the resurrection was a date on a calendar. It was of an event. Jesus was here to tell her the resurrection is not just an event, not merely just an abstract power. It is all bound up in a person. He says to her, I am the resurrection. Now, have you ever thought about what it means that Jesus is the resurrection? It means this, that the authority and the power and the life 
to raise dead people from the ground is all bound up in Jesus and is all executed by Jesus Christ. The resurrection of believers, Jesus. The resurrection of unbelievers, Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, Jesus. He did all of those resurrections. John chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but shall raise it up on the last day. All the ones the Father gave Jesus, Jesus is the one who raises them up on the last day. All those who don't believe in Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, says the Lord. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Not only does He raise believers to life and unbelievers to judgment, but Jesus performed His own resurrection. John chapter 10, verse 17, I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Don't, don't you be thinking Pilate was in control for one minute. I love, we, we read this in the uh, Good Friday. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. You remember what happens when the, the men come to arrest Jesus. They go, who's Jesus? He says, I am. And they all fall down. Can you imagine the feeling? You're brushing yourself off. Like, I guess we should arrest Him now. And what, what's He done? He's proclaimed, you're, you're doing this by My will, not Yours. I'm letting you take me captive. He says, no one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Resurrection is not simply an event. It's not simply a future exertion of power. It's all bound up in Jesus. That's his first great, great claim. It's really a claim of divinity. There's no, there's no mere man who can claim the authority to speak and give life from the grave. This is the prerogative of God alone. He brings all men up from the grave first unbelievers, then believers, and then, and then first before all that, Himself. The second great claim, I want to look at two great claims, two promises, and one question. The second great claim, I hadn't noticed this before, but it's different, it's distinct. There's actually two claims in this passage. The second great claim is, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, you might think to yourself, maybe resurrection life are just two ways of saying the same thing. Uh, when I teach uh, preaching, I, I will say to preachers, you can't preach like you write. Because if you preach like you write, uh, no one will understand what you're saying. Because when you're writing, if you read something complex, you see it once, and then you can, you, you can stop, and you can reread it. And you can stop again, if you're like me, and reread it one more time. Maybe the fourth or fifth time you get, this book's not worth it. But anyway, you can do it if you want to. With preaching, once the preacher's moved on, it's, it's over. And of course, every preacher knows that good moms are trying to listen to you while having their hair pulled out of their heads. And so you say things repeatedly. The Israelites came out of Egypt. They escaped from slavery. They were taken out in the Exodus. Just saying the same thing. A few different ways. And you might be tempted to think that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that He's doing that. That He's just sort of throwing away words. I'm the resurrection, and it's kind of like being the life. But there's good reason to believe that He's saying two distinct things. He's saying, I am the resurrection, the one who raises people from the dead physically, but He's also saying, I'm the life. I'm the one who gives people life spiritually. And perhaps the best reason to believe that that's the way this should be taken is these two next sentences, which sound like they're saying the same but opposite things. They're kind of confusing. 
The two next sentences go like this. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live. So that sentence kind of acknowledges death and then says you'll live after it. And then the next sentence says, and everyone who lives and believes shall never die. I'm getting mixed messages. Well, the way this works is that Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection. Let me unpack that in a sentence. Even though you die, you'll be raised. And then He's saying, and I'm the life. And whoever lives and has this life and believes in Me, they'll never die. Because they receive eternal life this side of the grave. In case I'm not being clear, let me belabor this point just for a second. I, I, what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus often separates, or, or I'll say distinguishes, between the eternal life He gives us and the resurrection life that's coming. It's part of a salvation package. They always come together. I'm not saying that you can get eternal life and not get the resurrection, or get the resurrection and not get eternal life. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is He distinguishes between the new spiritual life we get this side of the grave and the bodily resurrection we receive that side of the grave. Let me just read you a few verses that might make this abundantly clear. One of those verses would be John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of My Father, John chapter 6, verse 40. This is the will of My Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. There's one thing. Look on Me, believe, have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. You see the difference? Have eternal life, but God raises you from the dead. John chapter 6, verse... Sorry, that was John chapter 6, 40. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 33 says, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So one work, He gives life. Another work, He raises the dead. So here are the two great claims, beloved. And we'll unpack them a little more in the promises. Jesus claiming, like God, that He can raise the dead. And that Jesus is promising, like God, that not only did He speak the first creation into existence, but He can give new life to the soul. Now, I want to use a C.S. Lewis quote. And here's the problem. I wrestled with this. I wrestled with this. Why'd you wrestle using a C.S. Lewis quote? If you're a Christian, your pastors always use C.S. Lewis quotes. That's why I wrestled with it. Because they've heard this like a thousand times. But then I thought, but there might be some who've never heard it. And so there might, since there might be some who've never heard this, I thought I'd share it. Jesus just claimed to be God. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And years ago, C.S. Lewis, a Cambridge scholar, an atheist turned Christian, made a very insightful statement. I almost don't want to read it to you. It's so common and insightful, but again... Some of you may never heard it. And in this statement, what he basically goes on to say is this. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. You ever heard someone say that? I'm ready to accept Jesus as a teacher. Lewis says, I'm trying to keep people from saying Jesus was just a great moral teacher. Because there are people who say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. If you go to any classes at UofL and one of the professors insists that they are in fact the resurrection, do not come back to church and say, now I've met a great teacher. Lewis says he would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, 
or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not make come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The one who claims to be the resurrection and the life either is or he isn't. And I believe because of His eyewitnesses who saw Him rise from the dead because of the power of the Spirit unleashed on the church these last 2,000 years, that He in fact was exactly who He said He was. The resurrection and the life. Now let's look at two great promises. Let's look at two great promises. They flow out of the two great claims. The first is a promise about the resurrection. And it's a promise, listen to this, available to all people. It's a promise available to all people. Jesus says, whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. Notice who the promise is made to. Whoever believes in Me. Now think about that. You might have spent your your life using your body to do all manner of things that offend Jesus. Maybe you've used your lips for cussing or your mouth for lying or your hands for stealing or your feet for running around on your wife or your womb for murder or your genitals for fornication or prostitution or even abusing another. You may have used your fist to strike, your trigger finger to murder, your mind to twist the truth, your strength to serve yourself, your power to drag others into slavery or sex trafficking. I heard news even this week of a neighborhood in Louisville where there's active stealing of women going on to drag them into sex trafficking. How that's on the front page, I do not know. You may have done any of those things But if you believe in Him, though you die, you will live again. The promise is to absolutely anyone, any kind of sinner, of any kind of background, of any kind of sin, of any kind of transgression against God. What the devil will do, beloved, is he will get you into thinking that no one else in the world sins like you. That you've had a distinct sin life that no one's ever had before. It's all a lie. You may have done many creative things in your life. New kinds of sin isn't one of them. And he says, whoever believes in me, whatever kind of sin they have, whoever, whoever, black, white, brown, yellow, you name it, young, old, edge of death, young, 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 anyway, doesn't matter. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And what good news that is. Think of some of the things that may have happened to your body that made me wish you were dead. That make you feel so unclean. Maybe your body was used for someone else's sin and they twisted your mind to make you think you wanted it or deserved it. Maybe your body is marked by a tattoo that you got not to honor Him, but in rebellion to Him. Maybe your body is marked by illnesses you can't get over. Scars from disease that feel like they will never go away. Let me tell you this. If you believe in Jesus, He will raise you up with a new body on the last day. If you still feel dirty and dishonored from what has happened in this body, the next body will be one of honor and immortality and glory. If you feel limited by a wheelchair and a crutch, the next body will be the kind that quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata says will be able to pull vault over the pearly gates. That is His promise to everyone of any background who simply believes. A new, redeemed, physical, perfect, glorified, immortal body. Amen.
So then what is believing? Anyone who believes will be raised from the dead. So what is believing? It is trusting. It is not working to get good enough to heaven. To get good enough to go to heaven. It is trusting the One who came to give life from the dead. In John chapter 6, there's a bunch of people running after Jesus. This is a great story. I love this story. In John chapter 6, there's a bunch of people running after Jesus. And the reason they're running after Jesus is because where Jesus goes, miracles happen. And Jesus' miracles, because He's the kind of God the God of the Bible is, Jesus' miracles often involve food. And so, whenever Jesus is around, there's a lot of food. And so these people are running around chasing Jesus to get more bread. And Jesus says to them, you're just chasing Me to get bread. You're seeking Me, He says, because you ate the fill of the loaves. And then He says these words. These are stunning words. These are stunning words. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. Don't spend all your energy just trying to get food that eventually you digest it and it's gone. But then He says this. He says, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. He says, this is the work of God. Well, wait, let me not jump there. That's the punchline. Let me, let me just make sure we get there the right way. He says this. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So they're all peaked, right? Okay, so there's a way you can get eternal life. And Jesus just told me to work for it. There's a way to eternal life. He told me not to work to get bread. He told me to work to get eternal life. What am I supposed to do? So they ask. That's always a good policy. They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, so if there's something we can do to get us eternal life, what is it? Lay it, lay it on us. He says this. This is the work of God that you believe in whom He has sent. The work He wants is a non-work. The work He wants is a trust. The work He wants is a faith. The work is, He wants is for you to lay down all your efforts to be good enough for this bread or earn this bread and to cast yourself on Him who has earned every blessing you could ever want. It means just trusting. Like lying down in a bed, you trust the mattress. Like flopping into a chair, you trust the chair. Like throwing in yourself into the arms of someone strong enough to hold you. Like a child does that. In this way, we throw ourselves into the mercy of Christ. And He upholds us. He takes care of us. He saves us. The Apostle Paul murdered Christians! But he believed Jesus and so he'll get a new resurrection body on the last day. The great African theologian Augustine was sexually immoral before he was converted, but he believed in Jesus, and Jesus gave him life after death. John Newton ran a slave ship, and he believed Jesus, and Jesus has given him life after death. And to anyone and everyone who can hear my voice, no matter how bitter you've become, callous you become, just gripped by sensuality you've become, cold you've become, numb you've become, sinful you've become. If you believe in Him, you will live in a new and glorified body with Him forever in perfect happiness. This is Christ's promise. And the second promise, we've looked at two claims. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. One promise comes out of that first claim. I'm the resurrection. So if you die believing, you'll live again. Second promise goes like this. Everyone who lives and believes. So now, now we're talking about something different. We're not talking about the resurrection here. Everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Okay, I'm the resurrection. So when you die, you'll live again. But if now in this life you live, 
you shall never die. Now, first of all, it's got to be clear, he's not talking about everyone who draws breath. When he says, if you live, he's not talking about everyone who draws breath. Just because you're here doesn't mean this verse applies to you. When he says, if anyone lives, he's talking about having that eternal life. He's like, I'm the life. And if you live, if you have the life I give, the, the spiritual life where one day you're, one day you're in God's world, and you seem to be attached to all the food and drink and pleasures of this world. But the one thing you're not attached to is God. Well, if you come to a place where you trust in Jesus and He connects you to the Maker of this world so that you live, well, then He tells us you'll actually never die. What does that mean? It means that for a Christian, there's a fundamental continuity between who you are as a Christian in this life and who you'll be in heaven. The Christian is just you born again on the other side of the grave. If you live, he says, and believe in me, you shall never die. That's an amazing, amazing promise. The life of a believer that we have now is the life of knowing God. This is eternal life, Jesus says in John 17 that they may know You and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. The life we have now is the life of knowing the God who loved us and gave Himself for us. The life we have now is the life of living in God's presence with Him ministering His life to us. At the Good Friday service, a brother I hadn't seen in a while attended from another church and we got to talking and I was asking him how he was doing and he was telling me that God was just teaching him very profound lessons about humility and holiness and His presence. And so I just decided, okay, I'm clearly in the right conversation. I'm just going to shut up and listen as long as I can because I want to hear more about humility and holiness and being in God's presence. And he, and he said, he just keeps meeting with me. And, and he says, and he meets with me when I'm low. He says, the other day, uh, someone spilled a game at my house. It wasn't me, and it was just all over the floor. And I thought, I should get down on the ground and pick up this game to serve my family. And he said, I got down on the floor, and Jesus just started meeting with me. And just reminding me, this is where I am. I'm down here low, serving other people. I wonder how much of our sense of absence of the presence of God is that we're never going low enough to be with Him. Never humbling ourselves to actually enjoy His presence. Jesus says that everyone who lives, that is, has this new divine life in Him, this, this life that's the life of Christ, it's, it's a servant's life. It's, it's a life of being loved by God. It's the, love of, it's the life of the foot-washing Savior in your soul. It's, it's the life that, that loves the Word. It's the life that loves God. It's the life that loves the way of the cross. Like this, is, this is born in you. And when this is born in you, when you die, you don't die. Because the one eternal being in the universe has already been born in your soul. And it's not about to get knocked off by something as weak as death. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 8.52? He said, if anyone keeps My words, he will never see death. Do you know that believer? When you close your eyes to die, you won't close them and see death. You'll close them and see Jesus. And you won't go, now who am I? That'll be you. Born again you. Born again though I didn't see Him, I loved Him. But now I do see Him and I love Him more. That's what He promises. He is the life. And anyone who lives with this new life this born-again life, this life of the Spirit being formed in them, the life of Christ being formed in their soul, whoever has that life and believes in Him, they never die. Because they've been born again to a new creation. Oh, Paul says the same thing. 
Right? He tells us that what can separate us from this love of life, this life of love, being loved by God. Can death? He answers no in Romans chapter 8. Well, let's get to that question. Let's get to that question. First promise, I am the resurrection. Not an event, it's me. You know me, I speak you. I say you get up from the grave, you'll get up from the grave. In fact, let me just say this again. Every one of us will hear Christ's voice telling us to get out of the grave. It's really a matter of which resurrection He'll call us to. John chapter 5 says those who've done evil will be brought forth to a resurrection of judgment. Those who've done good, not their own good, not their goody-two-shoes good, but good that's born of the Spirit, they will be given a resurrection of life. We're all going to be raised. Which, I'll just say this before I move on. That's a very important word for this generation. This generation has replaced God the Creator over us with me as my own Creator. I'll create me. I'll create my gender. I'll create my sexuality. I'll create my identity. I will create everything about me. And you know what people are finding in this world where we create everything about us? We determine who we are, what we're going to be, what it means to be human, what's important. What, you, know what, you know what's happening in this world where people are totally free? We've bucked off all cultural authority, all political authority, all religious authority, and now it's just what I want to be is the most important thing in the world. You know what's happening in that world? People are finding that freedom to be a bondage. That, that's an, that freedom has an unbearable weight to it. Who, has to, who wants to wake up every morning and figure out who they're supposed to be? And this is why you get people changing who they are quicker and quicker and quicker. Because there's no leadership, no guidance. It's just my feelings floating aimlessly in the universe becoming a bondage to me. The resurrection of Jesus is freedom. It means someone else has the last word about you. It means someone is raised from the dead and said, here's what humanity is to be. Here's who you, I will form you to be as humanity. It's an absolute word of freedom. It reinstates authority. First, the authority of Christ. Then the authority of government and church and parents and creation itself that says you're a boy or a girl, depending on how I made you. It reestablishes authority. And it's not a bondage. It's not oppression that He rose from the dead. It's absolute freedom. Freedom from the unbearable weightlessness of life. The, the crushing weightlessness of having to determine everything that you are. Every moment of your existence for yourself is replaced with I throw it all away and I cast myself on Jesus who's the ultimate authority who determines who I am, who am I to be, and on top of that, forgives me for all I was trying to be by His own death on the cross. I think I was going to ask a question. That was, some, that was review, I think. <laughs> He's the resurrection. He's the life. The promise that comes out of the resurrection, though you die, you'll live. The promise that comes out of life, you'll never die. If you live now, if you've been born again, there's no dying. The you now is just you better in heaven. So what's the question? I love this. Jesus turns to Martha and He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you see that? He says these amazing things about the resurrection. And he says to her, do you believe this? And Martha, as very often the women in the New Testament do, knocks it out of the park. I mean, just she's killing it. By the grace of God, she says to him, yes, Lord. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And uh, that was her Jewish woman way of saying, You're my King. 
You're my king. So she took these marvelous images of Jesus' kingship from the Old Testament. I believe that you are the Christ that was the Messiah, the promised king who would make things all things new. Son of God. Probably here doesn't mean you're God. It, it, there was an Old Testament promise of God sending a son. And she's saying, you're that son of God. You're the one who will make all things new. And you're the one who God has sent into the world. And let me tell you about one thing about Martha right now. She was saved. She was a Christian. Because that's what a Christian does. They believe in their heart in Jesus. And they confess it with their mouth. When Martha died, she didn't die. And Martha is currently in heaven awaiting the rest of us to die so she can get on with resurrection. Because on the last day, when all of God's people have been gathered, we will all receive our new bodies together. Well, let me ask that question to you. Do you believe this? What a horrible idea thought for you Christians here to think that some of you might spend your life in church and then face God and have to admit to Him what only you knew secretly. That you did not, in fact, believe this. I hope and pray that if you are a, a professing believer here today, you would be able to say from the heart, when I hear about Christ being the resurrection, when I hear it opened up from the Scriptures, when I hear about Him being the life and how there's promises made that I will rise again and that I will not die, I take Jesus at His Word. If that's you, I just want to tell you, i got only got one message for you this morning. He's going to keep His Word. When you die, and I don't know what will get you, I mean, there are things that every hospital and all the best food from Whole Foods cannot fix. When you die, you will rise cancer-free. Sore back-free. Headache-free. That weird thing in my ankle, free. You will rise immortal, indestructible, eternal, and your life will not end on a sigh or a murmur. I mean, isn't that kind of all of our fear at some level that we become like the book where right when it was getting bad, the author stopped writing? No resolution. No, it all comes together in the end. No, the last chapter for every believer is resurrection and eternal life. And every loose end gets tied up. Every broken heart gets balmed. Every grief gets comforted. That's His promise to you, believer. Now some of you may be sitting here when I ask, do you believe? Some of you answer, yes, Lord. Maybe you've answered that for the first time. Maybe you're saying, yes, Lord, but it's for the first time. For the first time in your life, you're saying, yes, Lord, I believe that. Or maybe it's something a little weaker, like this. I believe. Help my unbelief. Let me just tell you that yes, Lord, and I believe, help my unbelief, are of the same species. Truius faithius. Okay? It's, it's real faith. I believe, and I believe, help my unbelief, are the same kind of belief. It's just weaker and stronger versions of the very same thing. And the people who are, have the weak faith, they don't get a limping resurrection, just so you know. They don't get a partial new birth. They are 100% transformed by the grace of God. If that's you, I want to encourage you. Trusting in His Son means confessing you are a sinner. Seeing He is a Savior who died for sinners and gives them eternal life. That is what has happened to you if you've believed. You are now a child of God. There is something you are called to do now. It's not something you need to do to earn your salvation. It's something you do to confess your salvation. 
The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're here and you're saying, I believe. And maybe it's, I believe! Or it's, I believe, help my unbelief. If that's you, I want to encourage you to confess that faith to someone else. Maybe in the guest reception after the service. Maybe to the friend who bought you, brought you. Maybe to me. Maybe to the stranger next to you. You're just like, I just got to tell somebody. I want to encourage you to confess that faith. And we'd love to meet you after our, the service in our guest reception, our pastors, our deacons. We'd love to talk to you about confessing your faith through baptism before God and man. Lastly, and I'll sit down, there may be the possibility that you're hearing what I'm saying and you're like, nah, I reject it. And let me be clear, that is the only other option. If you're not believing, then you are actively rejecting. And if that's you, I want to warn you that if you die without receiving Christ, you will die in your sins. You will die in a spiritually dead state and you will be raised at His voice, but you will be raised for judgment and death. And I long for you to avoid that terrible day. So I want to invite you, if you want to explore Christianity a little more, if you'll come to me after the service, I would love to arrange for you to get into a Bible study one-on-one or in a small group. But I would love to see you in a Bible study looking into God's Word because that's a place where you can ask questions, express your doubts, and hopefully be helped. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. I, I would just have nothing more to offer you than just an opportunity to hear more of the Word of Christ. So let's close and I'll read those wonderful words one more time. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this?